Hey, this is Ryan Jurley, longtime listener and early contributor. I've had two stories read on here, but both by Jim. So this is the first time my voice gets to appear on the show. Anyway, Jim and Colleen, congratulations on one year secondhand stories. A ton of people have creative ideas and, and slightly less than a ton of people try those ideas out and give up when they start counting the mistakes and challenges. The incredible few left over are people like you who work your butts off and continually approve the show you're putting out for us, both as listeners and writers. You've done a great job of passing down high-quality stories the original way, oral tradition, and you've provided stuff from established artists while still giving opportunities to aspiring writers, people like me. I consider myself one lucky dude to be on the first episode, partially because it's neat to be at the start of something, especially something that I expect to become even bigger, but more so because the stories got way better after mine, and there's a lot of stuff from this show I'm glad I didn't have to follow. So thanks to the other writers, too, for making this enjoyable for me on the other end of things. But Jim and Colleen, again, congratulations. Some stories are just better read aloud. I think anyone who tunes into your podcast will learn that and have a good time doing so. Personally, I'm a Jersey boy, so I've never been particularly good at slowing down. But I'm always here, and I'm always trying to do my best to listen up. So God bless and keep on going. Thanks. Take care. Welcome to Secondhand Stories. I'm your host, Jim Zabo. And I'm your host, co-host, Colleen Stewart. Happy anniversary call. Oh, Jim, what's my anniversary for? I don't know. <laughs> oh, yes, I do. It's for this podcast. I'm stupid. Ha-ha. <laughs> Happy anniversary, Jim. <laughs> Thanks, Call. Uh, just full disclosure for our listeners, we recorded this call last night and it got messed up. So we're doing it again today and it might be worse than it was yesterday. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I thought we were going to tell them, but I guess we are. Ladies and gentlemen, it is early in the morning. We don't usually record in the morning. Nope. I don't look good. I don't feel great. I haven't had coffee. <laughs> this is not ideal. We will do our they best. They all know. We're doing this for doing you. Doing our best for our contributors and for our listeners. Yes, for um, contributors who made me weepy. Yes. Uh, we just heard from Ryan Jorley, the author of Covered Eyes from Episode 1 and Heart Failure from Episode 15. And um, we'll explain what the episode is in a little bit, but you're going to be hearing from a lot of our contributors today. Um, Secondhand Stories looks a lot different than it did from a year ago. Um, We've made a lot of changes. We have themed episodes now. We started off with just kind of, you know, pulling together whatever whatever stories we had. Um, But we were able to kind of theme episodes, and Colleen knows how much I like themes. Oh, Jim loves the good theme people. Love the themes. You, you should all realize this. We we are all a family. We're a podcast family yeah. now. And you know how much Jim, brother Jim, loves themes. You know how you just they they know how it goes. Um, yeah. And then after we got some feedback from our contributors, we decided to start allowing authors to read their own stories, which I think is probably the biggest and best thing that we've done um, since we got started. Absolutely. Um, we tried leading off a couple episodes with flash fiction pieces, which I think worked out really well. It's just, we haven't had any other contributors yet. Um, we had a conversation with Chris Baker Dirsch of No Extra Words. We kind of, you know, she ran the conversation on her podcast. We ran it on ours and that was kind of fun, um, to talk with somebody else who does fiction podcasting. Uh, and then we brought Colleen on the show. Uh, the that most was... unmonumentous. 
occasion. The real of this whole list of things you have. The, the real turning point. Things in that second nobody cares about. <laughs> the real turning point. The turning point to where we went downhill. <laughs> and yeah. everyone says, "Why is this girl here? No, Why is she here." No, we so we started co-hosting and doing some analysis after each story, and we I like also the analysis. I'll say that. Yeah, I do. I, I like that. that too. It's a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. it kind of gets us more involved in the story, and hopefully, it gets the the listeners more involved in the stories too. Um, yeah, people, if it does, let us know. We want to hear about it. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, we're going to hear a lot of feedback from our contributors today, but we'd love to hear feedback from our listeners too. We don't really get much of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, just send us an email whenever you want. Um, and we also coincided that with weekly episodes with a single story, which I also think has been a pretty big change and a pretty good change. Um, mm-hmm. There's some things we haven't figured out yet. Uh, theme music is still pretty bad. Um, I recorded that like a year and a half ago, and it's bad because I recorded it and because I, it's just bad. So we're going to try oh, to fix Jim. that at some point, but we probably won't. Someone send us some music. I'm calling all you, all you musicians out there. We will credit you. We won't pay you, unfortunately, because nobody here gets paid. But yeah. we will credit you and thank you endlessly, like a golden angel. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll give you credit every episode. So anybody who wants to do that, we are all yeah. ears. Yeah, um, the other mystery, which we talked about a lot yesterday, but um, we get about 20 listens every Sunday from somebody in San Francisco. If you are that somebody in San Francisco, please come forward. First of all, thank you so much for all the listens that you've been giving us over the over the year. Yeah. But uh, we just love to know what the deal is with that. We just want to know who you are, what you're doing. It's like it's San Francisco's secondhand podcast. Yeah. So- it's like the same, it's like at 2 or 3 o'clock Eastern time every uh, every Sunday. It's like almost every episode that they go and click through, click play on each episode. So I just love to know what's going on there. Yeah, um, I would too. So this is our anniversary episode. We're going to feature, ex- like exclusively f- feature our contributors from this past year. Um, and just at the top of the show, before we go any further, I want to say that we're taking next week off. Um we just need a little bit of a break. We had summer was really busy, and we just need some time oh, to catch yeah. up. So um, next episode and I will be take this moment, people, mm-hmm. because we're taking a week off. You know who needs to take a week off? Jim, because ninety nine point nine percent of all of this is all Jim. Round of applause for Jim. No one can hear me clapping. I'm clapping. But <laughs> Jim brings this lovely podcast to your ears every week. He does the workhorse what is that workhorse load of work lion's share i believe that's it that's it yeah. it's, i think it was some sort of animal it's but he does early. it and he deserves a, an extreme round of applause so thank you jim well thank you i want to thank all of our contributors from past year and colleen will we'll do that all at the end but yeah we're taking oh, yeah. next week off um we'll remind everybody at the end of the episode but i know this is a long episode so i don't know exactly how long it's going to be but i know it's going to be long um stick with us people yeah so just stick with it um Next up, we're going to have a recording from Daniel DeLeon. Um, so what you're going to hear in this episode, I didn't explain this. We're going to, um, I had some phone calls with contributors. Um, we got some recordings, voicemails from contributors, as you just heard from Ryan earlier. And we also had some written statements from contributors, just kind of about their experience with secondhand stories. Um, and next up, we have a call. I took a call with Daniel DeLeon. Um, and at the very beginning of the call, I kind of explained what we were looking for this episode to be. Um, 
So here's a call with Daniel DeLeon, who's the author of Fruit on a Vine from episode 26. Do you want a little bit of an overview of what we're trying to do here first? Yes, I think that'd be helpful. So basically, you know, we're coming up on one year of running secondhand stories. We were trying to figure out, um, you know, how we could make like a special one year episode. Um, And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to get a lot of input from our previous contributors over the year because, you know, we talk about um, definitely we're trying to make this show like for the authors, for the contributors. And so we thought that there was no better way to do that um, than by including them in our one-year episode and kind of like exclusively featuring just, you know, commentary from the authors in our one-year episode. So, Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, really, the whole recording process was, was new to me. And then to hear it um, when it all came out, I think that that was a, a new type of joy. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that, because I've heard from other authors more like if somebody else reads their story, that it's very, it's like a totally new experience for them. So what what was it like hearing your own story read by, you know, you read your own story? Yeah, and I think I was, for me, I was really appreciative of having that option. Mm-hmm. Um, just as in the past, I've gotten into live lit, um, and it's something that I always like to take particular ownership of is when I'm doing live lit at a bookstore or a bar or whatever, um, it's, I don't just want to stand up there and read. I want to engage and live the story as I'm telling it. So the option to actually recite my own story uh, was, was really appealing to me. And then I, it's also something I had never done um, in my, at my own home. So I even had to, I remember asking you what type of software do I even use? How do I export the file? Um, mm-hmm. So that new to me and to hear the way that the whole file was edited and then listen to it um when, when it was actually live on the episode was uh it's like when you read about <laughs> the musicians that are hearing their music on the radio for the first time you sounded really good in your story and i liked what you said about the live readings how you really like to get into it i think we we mentioned this in the episode but you did a really really great job of um, I don't want to say acting out each character, but I could really feel the emotion you were trying to convey and all your dialogue and everything. So um, where that would be something that, you know, because I wasn't the author of the story, if I were to read it, I wouldn't give the same performance, I guess you could say. Um, so I think it was really good that you read your own story. Right. That's that's what I think was really cool is, you know, another person can definitely read it well. Um, but for me as the creator, it allowed me to think of the story in a new dimension. And so as I was recording it, I started thinking differently about the characters that I had already put on paper, um, but it helped them come to life in a new way. Yeah, I think I've I've talked about it a little bit, um, maybe in one of the past episodes, or maybe it didn't make it onto the air, but I really like to edit the recordings of each story before Colleen and I go into our commentary because... I find that I get so much more out of the story that way, like listening to it slowly and, you know, listening to some parts more than once. And just really, it just helps me think critically about the story, which is, you know, I don't listen to audiobooks very often, which is weird because that's pretty much what this podcast is. But um, I don't know, the one audiobook that I did listen to, I was able to kind of like predict things before they happened, which isn't something that I'm good at at all in reading, you know, 
just reading words on a page. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and and you did actually mention that in the recording. And oh, in this one, okay. For me, listening, it's kind of evident, like the questions that you had and some of the things that you picked up on. It was really evident that there was a, a deep level of reading happening. Yeah, that's and it's. I like that you said that. Um, that that happened while you were recording it too, because, um something that I've, I've probably talked about this before too but i feel like you get so much more like one of the best ways to edit stories is to read them out loud because you're experiencing the story in a new way you're not only um i guess producing it in a new way but you're consuming it in a new way as well which kind of makes you think about it a little bit differently and might you know you might pick up on some things that are repetitive or things that you know you didn't um didn't repeat enough, you know, like names or something. So uh, that's cool that you you picked up on that too, and that that was true for you as well. Yeah, and I always, I always try to read aloud whenever I write anything, just even to myself, just because there's got to be a certain rhythm and music in the words, and that doesn't come out when you just read silently on the page. So it's a really cool medium. Yeah, I I like that a lot. I really like hearing that. Um, I think I had one more quick thing to ask you, but, um, just if there's anything in particular that you want to tell the listeners about your writing process, any secrets that you think you have or anything that you think you do that maybe other authors don't do. I wish I had the secret. Um, <laughs> the, the thing that I, I do that is probably a little different is I always write in pitch black. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Um, just me zone in and focus so it's only the words and and me and then I'm just when you're staring at a blank page you can't stare at anything else. Mm-hmm. Now pitch black like are you do you handwrite mostly or do you write on the computer? No, it's just the computer and mm-hmm. I set it on a I I use a program called um, Scrivener it's called mm-hmm. and there's a setting where I can put the view so that it's really just the page and then it's blacked out on both sides. Mm-hmm. And then the room I keep uh, coverings on all the windows and door shut, pitch black. Wow, that's cool. Well, it was great talking to you, Daniel. All right, thanks, Jim. Much appreciated. No, I thought what Daniel said about, you know, rhythm and music kind of incorporating into how words work as well. I mean, the cadence and the sound of words is so important, just like it is in music. It's extremely important in writing. And I thought that was interesting. And I also liked how he talked about um, <clears throat> how it helps his characters come to life to hear them out loud. Yeah. Which was interesting. And the last thing, because Daniel's a badass bitch. He writes in the pitch black. Yeah, that was so cool. That is crazy. And he cover he covers the window. He commits to the blackness. Yeah. He covers the windows. He does the whole thing. I think that's crazy. Yeah, that was really cool. cool. Um yeah. I think we again we talked about this yesterday, but I if I ever write I which is never, I will basically turn my computer screen off. It's kinda of like the opposite. Um And I Daniel, told I you yesterday, Jim, you're a genius. Yeah. Well, because one of professors at my school does that. Yeah. I mean, it like, it makes sense to me because I don't, I know that what I'm writing is really bad, so I don't want to look at it. 
at all. And if I, See, I the screen's off, the then I can't look at it. Looks super good. If you and it would distract you from how good it was. Yeah, I'm sure that's it. Um, well, it was, he got published in the New Yorker, so oh, oh yeah, for him, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it works great for him, but um, yeah, but that means you're gonna get published in New Yorker too. Yeah, sure. Um, next up, we have a statement from Clayton Bradshaw, who talks about reading aloud as well. He's the author of How to Care for Hyacinths from episode 18. Kyle, would you like to read that statement? I would love to. Um, Clayton says, stories are meant to be read aloud. Secondhand stories bring literature back to where it started, and I feel privileged to have been a part of it. Jim and Colleen not only accepted my work, but they taught me the value of hearing my words spoken. Reading was always meant to be a communal event, and this podcast modernizes that concept. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to be a part of something that will continue to grow larger in the years to come. Clayton is trying to make me weepy. It's very nice. Um, but it, he actually really, you know, does a nice job of summing up each trip exactly what we're trying to do here. Just show people the value of, of listening to a story and really involving yourself in it and, and putting yourself out there. And just, you know what, something that I don't do enough and probably something you don't do enough, Jim, is just taking five to ten to even an hour for yourself every day. Like, we all do so much in our lives, both, like, working and this and blah, 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 and, and all this stuff. Like, you know, if your if our podcast is that, that five to ten, fifteen, however long those can be, 30 minutes, if, if, it's, if it's that for those for people, then I feel so good about it. And I, I think that's kind of what Clayton's trying to say. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um and like listening to stories is also i don't know because we're so busy it's easier sometimes like you know you have you yeah. can do that while you're driving or you can you can just listen or while you're cooking like i usually am yeah exactly <laughs> um and our next author um Lynn Knight author of the Stetson from episode 9 kind of talks about that she says, I love the experience of recording my story, The Stetson, for Secondhand Stories, and I'm grateful for your openness and flexibility in helping that happen on Secondhand Stories. I'm a writer who right now is listening to more books than I read. I find it not only meditative, but challenging. Listening to the spoken word helps me to focus on sound and cadence in addition to the meaning and imagery that words evoke. I believe such an audio exercise helps my writing because it makes me aware of the sound and cadence of my own work. There's also an immediacy to the spoken word that is so engaging and exciting. And I think that that just kind of, you know, sums up what we're trying to do here. Like, we want mm -hmm. to get people listening to stories, not necessarily, you know, replacing books or reading or anything, because reading is great. But, um, but yeah, it's just kind of what we're, what we're trying to do. And, um, well, it's giving you reading when you when you can't necessarily have it. Like, yeah. and even for people who, you know, are maybe aren't that good at readers. And cause those people are like, I'm not a great reader, to be honest with you. Like, I don't know how I made it through six years of English literature education, <laughs> but I'm a very slow reader. And I, I know that and I work with it, but, but like something like listening to audiobooks, it, it works for me. And like something like this works for me. And like, I, I hope that works for other people who are in the same position as I am or, or not. And just enjoy listening to things on. Online. Yeah, and like I think, like she mentioned, it also helps in your writing too because you listen to mm -hmm. how the words come out and how I mean, that's kind of how it's going to happen in people's heads too when they're reading it on the page. But mm -hmm. so it can it can help in both your you know writing for things that are being read and obviously writing for things that are be that are meant to be read aloud. 
Um, and our next contributor, Todd Carter, author of The Great Escape from episode 16, kind of talks about that in this recording that he sent us. I enjoy listening to fiction, and as a writer, it's thrilling for me to have my work in an audio format. It's a way for me to share what I do with a different audience. When I edit, I often record my fiction, read it and record it and play it back, and that way I catch things I don't notice when reading from the page. It's a good technique for me, except for I don't like listening to my own voice for that long. So... I was thrilled to have my story, The Great Escape, selected by Secondhand Stories, and even more thrilled when I found out I didn't have to be the one to record it. My wife, Elizabeth Carter, was a good choice for me. She's a primary early draft reader. She reads everything I write, and she has a great, sultry voice. Um, and I really enjoyed do- working on that project with her. Creative collaboration is often rewarding, but especially So with somebody um, you're really close with, and I enjoyed editing with her, going over the recording and talking through story elements. It was very rewarding and great to see the finished product. Congratulations on your first birthday, Secondhand Stories. Yeah, no, that, um, Todd, you know, spoke really nicely about us, which seems to be a running theme here. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I loved how he talked about, um, collaborating with his wife. And I think that, you know, it doesn't have to be your wife, it could be your brother or your friend or whoever, but making creative experiences and writing a community experience, it just connects everybody. Uh, we had another contributor, Carol Guest, who talked about collaborating as well. She was the author of Somehow Always Getting It Right from episode 12. Um, and she said, somehow always getting it right is a collaboration with Elizabeth J. Colon. When we finished our story, we both knew that we'd written something powerful, but we were worried that the subject matter, a grim, risky narrative about the death of a child, would keep it from publication. Having our story picked up so quickly by secondhand stories inspired us. We were really excited about the idea of sharing this particular story in voice, with sound and emphasis, to offset what might otherwise feel like too much loss. It was so exciting to share the episode with others. Thanks for including our story and for taking a chance on bold, risky material. I just think it's so cool that we're like, we can inspire people by doing this. Like, I was hoping for this just to be like an outlet for people, like another place for them to submit to, another place to get, you know, get amateur writers, like, you know, another thing on their resume, another like, hey, we we got this publication. But the fact that we've like inspired some people to, I don't know, to just share their ideas and stuff is really cool. Well, it's also like inspiring people to to be creative and write, like the same kind of thing, like yeah. you know, giving them that space, mm-hmm. like giving them the space to be creative and and to bring us the bold, risky material. People, we don't have any. Honestly, we don't have any boundaries for the most part. I mean, I might get a little squeamish and, and weepy and sad, but for the yeah. most part, you know, bring us your stuff that you know maybe other places are too nervous to put out because I mean, unless it's like super bad, because then. But just, you know, we want we want to give you a place to be creative, you know, to a point. We don't want anything offensive. That's terrible. We can't do that. Yeah. But. Uh, we we had another author, um, Nicholas Patrick McDonald, who was the author of Man's Best Friend from episode 10, who sent us a similar kind of statement. Would you read that one, Carl? Yes. Um, Nicholas has to say, my experience with SHS made me more confident sharing my work out loud. 
from Steve, seeing that I read and recorded my podcast myself and from Steve, and hearing it in the episode provided me with a boost that has inspired me to write even more. I also really appreciated the podcast format as I feel that it is on the cutting edge of sharing short stories. SHS is a wonderful supporter of writers, and I would highly recommend them to carry anyone else's work. Oh, so nice. Oh, my God. Our next recording is from Lisa Heidel, um, author of The Whaler from episode three. And this, is, she, this is super contributor Lisa. Super her. contributor Lisa. And she also talks about, you know, what a great space this is for short story writers. So here's Lisa. Happy first anniversary, secondhand podcast. This is Lisa Heidel reaching out to Jim and Colleen. And wanting to say that short story writers rejoiced when your podcast was created. You've proven that the short story is still alive and kicking. Working with you is like hitting the trifecta. You're professional, supportive, and kind. A sincere thank you from myself and all other short story writers sitting in a room dreaming with their eyes open. May this be the first of many anniversary celebrations for Secondhand Podcast. Lisa had a lot of very nice things to say. Um, and at the beginning of this next call, it's with Ryan Jorley, who um, left us a voicemail at the beginning. But since I've known Ryan for several years now, um, I met him in college and we were friends pretty immediately. Um, I did a call with him as well, kind of just to catch up, but also to talk secondhand stories a little bit. Um, and I kind of start off the call by telling him how much I appreciated his voicemail, but um we weren't really intending this to be uh, what it turned out to be. We were just kind of, you know, hoping to get our contributors, like kind of introduce our contributors to our audience, you know, because really all our audience knows about the contributors is what they actually wrote. And um, Colleen was saying this yesterday, it kind of, we were hoping to just, just like give a human side to the contributors, give a face to the, or I guess not a face, but give a voice to um, to the stories, but what it kind of turned into was a bit of a compliment party. Like everybody was just saying such nice things about us, which we love. We super appreciate everything that everybody said about us. Um, we do. We don't take compliments well here at SHR. No, no, we don't. We're not good at that. <laughs> um, but anyway, here's uh, here's Ryan Jorley's call. Hello. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Hey, Jim. It's going well. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. So, uh, I really appreciate your voicemail, by the way. I just want to start off with that. That was really, oh, really nice yeah. of you. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I look back and wonder how carefully I read the email um, that you had sent out to the writers. <laughs> but um, to me, it, it just seemed like, a, you know, if you're celebrating one year, um, it made sense to me to <laughs> highlight what I think you guys have done in, in the past year, you know, as... As a listener, I felt that way. And even as a writer, I, you know, contributed two stories, which, you know, I feel lucky to have been able to do. But, you know, at the same time, I think that, um, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that you guys got the credit for, for how much time you put in, especially going to um, one episode a week now. It's obviously um, doubling your work. And, and so I think, you know, you guys really deserve a lot of, a lot of credit for, for what you're doing. Well, thank you. I we we kind of did this. We wanted to, you know, 
feature our authors really because you know writing is kind of a in my last call um, a couple of days ago the the contributor said that writing is a very solitary event and it is there's not a lot of interaction between the writers and the audience so we wanted to try to give our contributors like an opportunity to to really talk to our audience but it's kind of turned into like a compliment party a little bit like I really appreciate all the nice things everybody's been saying about <laughs> us, but that wasn't really the intention. Um, but I, that's, I mean, it's good for us because we don't, like, we don't get a lot of feedback on this. So, you know, anything we can get, especially from the authors who are really, you know, the people we're making this for, anything yeah, we can get back I, from them. I guess, you know, in, in terms of, of feedback, one, one thing that I had thought of kind of after I left the voicemail and, and <laughs> reread the email. Um, you know, I, I did think of how when you first opened it up to letting authors read their own pieces, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sure you were very nervous about that, um, just just from a quality production standpoint. And, and I was worried, too. I remember the fir- whoever the first person was that read their story, I think it might have been one of the ladies who, who was making gifts for like a secret fan. I, I feel like that mm-hmm. was one of the earlier ones. But yep, anyway, that was the first one. I, I remember the first five minutes or so, I was, man, this, this just doesn't seem to be working. But, but by the end of the story, I was like, I couldn't, I, I couldn't have imagined hearing it any other way. Mm-hmm. And, and I almost feel like part of what you have been trying to do from the start, at least from talking to you and, and kind of hearing, you know, hearing you, speak on the podcast itself is or what you've been trying to do is, is resurrect something or, or at least bring to light something that, that needs more attention. And so being as it is like a, a grassroots type of podcast with a very grassroots focus on, on oral tradition and, and storytelling, it almost seems fitting that, that it should sound raw, that it should, it, it shouldn't sound like, you know, the big production podcasts that are funded by giant NGOs. This this should sound more like a, a people sitting around a campfire, you yeah. know, and, and so people just reading the stories with, with whatever recording technology they have, I think has actually enhanced my listening experience of it. You know, number one, because you get to hear the person, how they would inflect all the words, how it sounded in their head when they were writing dialogue, mm-hmm. but also just because, like I said, it, it it's people telling stories. It's not, you know, someone sitting in a studio doing some giant planned out project of, of some artistic project. It's, it's people who, you know, people who wrote a story that obviously means something to them. They, they felt that it should be shared. And, and this hasn't been the case for me specifically, but, but I'm sure some people have, have written stories that they were like, this is something that needs to be read aloud. And so I think, allowing people to read their own stories has been overall a very big benefit and, and, um, you know, even, even adds to it. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it sounds patronizing, but sometimes the, the more, you know, basic sound quality of somebody just recording it on their computer or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, I think is actually a benefit and not, not a, a setback. I like that a lot. I I hadn't really thought of it that way, but yeah, I mean, now you have, you know, I, when we started this podcast, I didn't know of any other podcasts like this. Um, Obviously, you know, we've worked with No Extra Words a little bit, 
over the past couple months and they they got started a lot before us and but now you have like LeVar Burton reads where you know he's in a studio he's got sound effects and all this really cool stuff and it sounds awesome like it's a really great podcast and obviously you know he's like the best reader you can find but um, <laughs> I was gonna say he's he's the guy yeah the he's icon. yeah he's the one so um but then you know on the other side you have us where we're just you know we're just doing it and it's you know, we did create this with kind of amateur writers in mind. And so, you know, if, if that's kind of where we're thinking that our submissions will come from, then I think it makes sense to have like a kind of amateurish feel to the recording. And I do really like what you said about um, how it's nice to have, you know, to hear the author read it as they would have read it, because I would read it differently. Like there have been there have been submissions, there have been recordings that I've gotten where I'd be like, hmm, I would have read that differently, but it's not in a bad mm-hmm. way. It's just that I interpret the, you know, the inflections or the, you know, the accents, whatever, I interpret those differently than the author does. And that's, sure. you know. Yeah, I mean, as a writer, you get slapped on the wrist, wrist for describing dialogue, you know, the, the modifiers and, and too many adverbs after the he, sh- he said, she said. So, mm-hmm. um it really leaves it up to interpretation for you, you know, and in most cases, probably other than me, you've never met these people. And, and so it, it is a benefit to, to have them read it because it's just such a, um, it, it could be such a wide gap between what they were thinking when they wrote a sentence and, and what you were thinking when you read that sentence. So, yeah. Um, and what you, I do, I do kind of regret that I hadn't done it. Um, at least one of the times in my stories, because I remember, I think my cousin was like, "Oh, I wish you had had read that." And he's like, "You know, I, you know, I don't think Jin uh, captured it." And and obviously, it wasn't meant to be a knock on you. It's just meant to be like, "Oh, he, you know, my cousin knows me very well," and 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 to him, it's like, "I, I know what you you meant there," but um, it didn't come out that the same way. And you know, for me, it's like, well, I I have always trusted you, and and you know, I, I think ultimately it's the story that's going to do most of the speaking, and and you know anyone who's listening to it is going to hear the words um, right. in addition to the inflection and the narration. So uh, I think a, a good story can stand on its own. So um, you know, I don't necessarily have any real regrets, but you know, I guess it is something that I'd like to try eventually. <laughs> yeah, next time. I'm sure there'll be a next time. I think that's that's a good point that you made though, because. You know, I was hesitant about allowing the authors to read it themselves because, you know, I'm putting the trust in them that, you know, number one, they're going to have some kind of recording equipment to be able to get this done. Number two, that they're going to do a good job and that they're going to, you know, get it back to me on time and all this other stuff. But if I'm reading it, then the author is placing like their whole story, like they're trusting me with their story, their creation and hoping that I tell it right. And I know that there have been cases that I haven't, you know, haven't done, haven't either done the story justice or done it to the, you know, to the author's satisfaction. And that, you know, that I, not that I regret it necessarily, but I wish that I could have done a better job in those cases. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a two way, you know, two way trust. So Ryan mentioned how he kind of wished that he was able to read um, one of his stories, and Diana Lee Valee, author of Angel's Choice and Silent Night from Episode 8, had a similar sentiment. Um, 
Diana Lee says, I only wish I had been able to read my own stories, but because I was traveling in Canada, it was not possible. I hope you will be using more of the stories from my anthology and look forward to reading them. Diana Lee, absolutely would love to hear your beautiful voice. And also, I wonder how Canada was. Let me know. I want to go there. <laughs> Canada's um, awesome. Back to Ryan really quick. Sorry. I, I, just, I remember I wrote this down yesterday and I, did, I forgot to say it. Um, I love that he used the word grassroots and he liked the raw sound that we have. I, when I listen back to our episodes, I am sometimes jarred by the fact that we, like, in comparison to other podcasts I listen to, which are, like, professional, you know, in-studio podcasts, mm-hmm. um, ours obviously sounds very different. Like, I'm on an iPhone with my headphones on, sitting next to an empty Miller Lite. Like, I am not in a professional <laughs> studio. Like, but I think that... And Colleen's often cooking during during the recording, so, like, that, cooking. those yeah, sounds usually, get in there. <laughs> get the sounds of my oven and the sounds of me chopping things, mm-hmm. yeah. But, um, yesterday I made a tomato tart, people. I would love if I could actually send you some of it. It's very delicious. Anyway, but, um, I love that he said that, and it's, I think it does give us some kind of... I haven't really thought it through yet, but some sort of edge, and maybe it's this cutting edge that Nicholas was talking about, but I think it, it, it gives us a different a feel, and I think maybe that's why we've been as successful as we are, and people are like looking, always looking for something different, you know? I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, but I, I mean, make a comment about that. I, I liked how he, I mean, he kind of made the comparison we're getting, you know, on the whole, we get some stories from people who are, you know, like very professional, have submitted to hundreds of magazines and all that but on the whole we get a lot of stories from pretty unknown unpublished authors so um you know because and that's kind of what our intention was was to get unpublished people published and so i think having that kind of amateur feel while we're getting amateur submissions from amateur writers not that the submissions themselves are amateur they're great um but i think it just kind of it works for us it's kind of who we are and um yeah and i i like it. it's good all right, who's next on this wonderful list of people? Yeah, we have a bunch of recordings coming up. Um, so this next one is a call with Doug Hoekstra, who's the author of Mr. X from episode 20. Um, Doug and I talk about um, kind of, I guess, what he writes about um, or kind of what he thinks about most often, which is um, moments and being present. Um, and he also reads a poem for us at the end. So here's Doug's call. Well, I mean, just fire away with the question. We'll see what happens. Sure. Hopefully I'll say something something halfway intelligent that you can use. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> um, and if you actually, if you want, um, if you want to read the Eclipse poem, that, that could be kind of cool too. Uh, I don't know if you're oh, sure. prepared for that, but um, no, I, I, I definitely like that a lot. Did you go out and, and see it? Did you travel anywhere for that? I I did. I mean, it was, go- it was, I didn't travel because it was in Nashville, you know, right. and, um, we, we were actually the largest city in totality. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, my son watched it at school. I actually wound up doing the thing in the poem about the, uh, baseball game, which they did have a thing where they had, they opened up the baseball park and they had an eclipse party with the mayor and the symphony. And then after that, they had an afternoon game. So it was pretty cool. That's very cool. But, yeah, I mean, it was tremendous, and, and, you know, to me, the thing about it that was cool, I mean, it was cool in a lot of ways. It was sort of like, you know, the perfect combination of sort of science and spirituality, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's this, every, everything is so scientifically calculated, yet there's so much awe, you know, and 
And I thought it was super cool to be, and that's kind of one of the things, too, that made me think about it in doing the poem is, you know, being surrounded by a bunch of people taking time out of their day. I mean, complete strangers you're surrounded by, but you're in this setting, and everybody's taking time out, actually all over, to um, just be in that moment and, and observe some, this miracle of nature. And then everybody, when when the totality came, everybody's ooing and aahing, and it was that sort of community, I think, was pretty inspiring. And so, you know, that was part of the thing of the poem. It was like, you know, what do we do with these moments? Are they going to um, transform us? Are we going to experience them? Or are we going to, at the end, you know, just tune out? Some people, I mean, I can't, you can't really judge people's choices, but I kind of feel sorry for the people who chose to, like, you know, watch the replay, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, so obviously this was a story in an audio form. Have you ever done anything like this before? Have you done any read-alouds of your stories or anything like that? Well, well yeah. I mean, here's, um, you know, I played, yeah. I've always written prose, but I played music for years. I did about, I can't lost count, eight or nine records on indie labels mm-hmm. in the States and in Europe. And, um, kind of singer-songwriter, Leonard Cohen-y, Lou Reedish, Dylan stuff. And um, and along the way, I did a couple things. I mean, first of all, I came out with a book of short stories that were, was all music-related um, fictions, kind of inspired by, you know, being that sort of in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got to the point where um, I would do things where, like, I'd do two sets, like, particularly when I traveled overseas, when you had to play, somehow they always had you in for more sets, and I would commonly do like you know a couple sets with a, a break in the middle with a story and things like that um and then i got the idea for for one record if i had a few friends i sent out a couple of stories to friends and asked them to read it and then i cut and pasted and i lined them up and kind of faded them in and out mm-hmm. kind of like an old school mashup thing mm-hmm. and so I've, I've had a little bit of experience just trying to to play around with things like that because I think it's interesting and I think I think there's a lot of um, you know I mean as a musician I always kind of wanted to go in between literature and, and music kind of in a way that Dylan does mm-hmm. and there's also people like who are even more spoken like um, oh I don't know John Trudell or people like that and so I think it's interesting to pl- try to play around with that so to the point I have from that direction. And, and I think I've always, you know, I think any writer likes to think about, I mean, when you're, when you're feeling if, if you're, if a, if a piece of any sort, whether it's a poem or a uh, story or whatever, if it has, um, if it's paced well, there's a rhythm to the words. And I think, I mean, maybe I'm sensitive to it just because I wrote songs for so long and played music, but I think it's, I think it's an all good writing, and um, I remember seeing Walter Mosley do a thing here in Nashville, reading, you know, the detective fiction writer, and he does more than that, and he talked about how, like, every novel he ever wrote, he would read into a tape recorder, you know? Wow. And he did that to get the sound of the words, and, and I think, you know, it's like the workshopping technique and everything else, I think you catch a lot when you do that, mm-hmm. too. 
um, when I teach writing, I always I have them work shot no matter what, no matter what kind of writing it is, even if it's essays. Like, and uh, so I think it's all connected in that way. That's a long answer. Sorry. But. No, that's. <laughs> So in that sense, I'm aware of it. I mean, I'm not aware in the in the conscious thing of like, okay, this is going to be bad on this thing. Although I think the podcasting is a great idea and everything, but I think I think of it pretty much when I write in general. Right. Do you? So yeah. you said that you had had friends read some of your own writing, so it wasn't weird having someone else like listening to someone else read what you had written. I've heard that from some yeah. authors where, you know, if if they've never yeah, done yeah. it before. No, no, it, it wasn't that weird. And I think also maybe, too, because of my experience doing that and doing so so much live performing, you just understand that it's it's like it's like part of the work, but different. I mean, somebody else is going to bring a different thing to it, but that's okay. Right. And that's and that's and that's valid. It's still in there. In a way, you could argue that it's cooler because then you get more perspectives because writing can be a kind of a solitary experience and it's in somebody's head. So I think you could argue that having somebody else read it brings like, you know, there's 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 the writer, there's the interpreter, there's the uh, listener. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to read, you know, I mean, so I think it, it adds, really. That's kind of honestly, you know? like, second, that's kind of how we came up with our name a little bit. Like we're secondhand stories, like you're hearing the stories secondhand like originally we were gonna i think we were just gonna read the stories because we thought it would be easier we didn't know if people would have recording equipment if that would work out um so i i completely hear what you're saying about how you know it's just it's kind of someone else's take on the same story and that so you're the listener is getting it secondhand in a way um what's one thing that you wanted people to take away from your story like what what was Maybe your inspiration for writing it, or um, what? What did you want people to take away from it? Um, that's a good. That's a good question. Because again, sometimes these stories start in one place and they take out a life of their own. I don't know. I mean, I think it's that idea. I mean, I think it goes back to the beginning of the conversation and that thing about, you know the decisions that we make and the decisions not made and where we fall in on those because of circumstance and personality. And I think there's something in, in, in the, um, story where the characters are, they're like, okay with the fact that that can be, maybe that was just the moment and that will be all it is. Mm-hmm. Right. I do think there's some ambiguity, you know, Yep. but there's this, the sense of of that and 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 that sense of you know how fleeting that is, but how that can be um, okay, you know. And I I think the sense is the characters too. You know, they're obviously they've got kids and they're older and stuff like that. So I think there's some more acceptance of people in those circumstances. I kind of like that because I think this is a little different from what you just said, but we like you're talking about how it's it's kind of about that moment and how you experience that moment and we were just talking about the eclipse and i know it's very like two very different events but i don't know like it seems like moments are a big theme for you maybe yeah i mean 
Like, yeah, I mean, I'm super cognizant of that for one. I'm not like a Zen master, which I was, but mm-hmm. I do think there's a real validity in, in that and that that's really basically what we have and that we struggle to not add things to our lives but to strip things away to get to that essence. And maybe that's why the eclipse appealed to me so much and what I saw in it where everybody was on the same page with, with give me two minutes. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You just give me two minutes of wonder, and I'm okay with that. And and that's hard. I mean, we have so many distractions and so many things taking us away. Exactly. And, um, and everybody was present for that. But, yeah. But I think, I think that's, I mean, I think that's something that's probably super prevalent in, in like, when the songs I wrote and in the stuff I write, because I'm, I'm just super aware of it, I, you know, um, for whatever reason. I don't always... Um, do it successfully like anybody else, but I am pretty aware, and I'm aware of when those moments happen. All right, well, that's about all I got. If you want to read your poem, you can. If you, if you don't, sure. Read, okay. All right. Are we ready for this? Do you have enough volume? Yep. Yep. You're good. All right. <clears throat> all right. Here we go. Eclipse. The solar eclipse is coming, blocking out light for two minutes, turning the world upside down as it did 99 years ago. When chickens went to roost, birds went into nests, and the Chicago White Sox started to think about conspiring with gamblers to throw the World Series. In the current climate, I wonder, will I drive to a state park, lay down a blanket under the wide open sky, and fill myself with awe, breathing in and out like a Buddhist monk? Or will you venture to the pyramid-shaped science museum where a staff of earnest educators and scientists will wield laser pointers and explain exactly what you see? Will he head up country to the drive-in movie theater set up with telescopes and a showing of close encounters of the third kind among popcorn girls and half-moon smiles? Or will she go downtown to the baseball game with its promises of special edition t-shirts and complimentary viewing glasses given out by the mayor and her staff at the gate in business attire. Will they check in on their neighbors to make sure their cats don't freak out in sudden darkness, chasing their tails and toys, something everyone should do at least once every 99 years? Or will I cross the street to ring the bell and see if the newly widowed elderly man needs a ride to the park and an opportunity to help those less fortunate? Or will we all simply remain anxious about the world, the calls that will come, the work to be done, remaining at our desks in windowless offices, breathing recirculated air-conditioned air, eyes glued to the computer screen, saving ourselves for the 10 o'clock news? when Kyle and I talked about this yesterday, she noted how I was like really trying to get him to read that poem. Uh, he had, he had <laughs> sent it. It was so good. And he had sent it to me. I don't know. It was a couple of days after the eclipse. It wasn't too long after. Um, and it was like kind of right before we had our call. And I really was just hoping that he would be willing to share it with, with everybody. And he was, which was very nice of him. Um, what a guy that does. Yeah. He was, he was really nice. He, I think some things that got cut from, from the call and there were a lot of like all these calls had to be cut down we i had 
I think for like a 45 minute conversation with Doug and I had, you know, 50 minute conversation with Ryan and some other people. So um, there were a lot of things that we talked about that unfortunately couldn't make it to the air. But um, one interesting thing that I think did end up getting cut from Doug's recording is that there was a lot of him in the character of his story, which I thought was really cool that not necessarily that he like admitted that because it's not something that like to be ashamed of admitting or anything like that. But it was just really cool to hear him like talk about how he was like kind of where he was coming from with the story. And I think that that would be cool to maybe do in the future to have like sort of an author interview portion be like, you know, not like, where did you get your ideas? Because that's, that's a really annoying question for authors, but just like, I don't know, just to get to ask them some questions about their story. I get inside and... their heads. Hey, uh, hello. Uh, what do I always say, Jim? That's what Colleen always wants. She always always saying, wants it. I always want to talk to these people and pick their brain. But yeah. um, I enjoyed, um, and I don't know if you're going to use this, but if you do, he mentioned Bob, our good friend Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. you know, friend of the show. Yeah. Um, and, but... It, it's, it was, I liked his connection because, you know, Bob Dylan definitely tries to tell stories with his music, and he kind of related that to what we're doing and, and somehow, and um, just kind of how we're using the audio format to obviously tell stories. And then, like you said earlier, I mean, I really just, like, his his um, dissertation on two minutes of wonder and awe, like, that's how you can bring someone into a story and just, like, leave them in this place of just like, you know, wonder. And, and I think that's an amazing thing. And it kind of leads back to what I was talking about earlier, just taking those, you know, two to whatever minutes of the day just to, like, sit with yourself and do something you enjoy, whether that be this podcast or whether it be not, something else. And I think we just need to do that. And Doug, Doug said it, so you should listen to Doug. Yeah, I, I have... A few things to say. One, he he was very good at like being present, and mm-hmm. like that was a big theme for him. He said something about how he's not a Zen master, but he he really tries to recognize when there are not necessarily like significant moments in his life, but just moments where you just need to kind of step back and appreciate where you are and what you're doing and who you're doing it with and and all that. Um, which was that was really cool. Um, the second thing that I want to say was he. I liked what he had to say about um, having someone else read your story. So, you know, a lot of times, not that often recently, but a lot of times we end up reading the author's story because they either they don't want to record it, they can't record it. Like Doug, Doug um, had to go on vacation so he couldn't record it. Um, and he said that someone else reading the story is just kind of a different take on the same story, which I think ties back to um, what Ryan and I talked about and what Diana Lee said in her statement um, I just thought that that was a really good way of putting it because, you know, there are certain things that I will emphasize that other people won't. And there's just like, you know, I'll interpret a story a little bit different than obviously the author um, who wrote it did, um, which will influence how I read it. So I just thought that that was a really interesting way to say it. And I think I like how we have some stories that are read by the author and we have some stories that aren't because it kind of gives us a little bit of variation of, you know, sometimes you get it straight from, you know, straight from the author's mouth, but sometimes you get a little bit of a different twist on it, um, which I just thought was interesting. And then the last thing I wanted to say was um, you mentioned how, you know, storytelling in music versus storytelling in, 
in writing in our next recording um, from Edna Gart, the author of The Hellmites Look for Justice from episode 14, talks about that a little bit too. Um, Doug and I talked a little bit about um, Bruce Springsteen. I've seen Bruce Springsteen a couple of times live and he has too. I'm sure he's seen him a bunch of times. And Bruce does a lot of that. He does a lot of like storytelling, not necessarily between sets because he's just up there for four hours or however long he decides to be up there that night. Um, and he just like tells stories between songs. He'll just do like a low instrumental. And I remember like the first show I went to, he was talking about ghosts a lot. He was telling a lot of stories about ghosts. Um, Cause I think Clarence Clemens had just died or something. Um, but anyway, so next we have um, a call that I did with Edna Gart, who is the author of the Helmites look for justice from episode 14, as I said. Um, and we talk about uh, music writing versus story writing a little bit right at the beginning. So here's Edna. Was this your first experience with a recorded a recorded setting? You recorded your own story, so. You... No, I I have recorded songs and have also recorded one spoken piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some interviews. I had a, a an interview with um, an author's program, and so that was a videotape setting. And I think there were a couple of others. Yeah, you recorded your own music for for our episode, which was really cool. Yeah, I did. It was actually based on a folk song, and then I did my own improvisation on it. Yeah, I really like that. What What did you um, were you a musician like for many years, or talk about your, well, your music a little bit? Professionally, I'm a retired teacher. I taught humanities, which was art, music, and literature introductions, mm-hmm. and um, I've always been doing music um, for fun, really, and uh, or just if I felt I had something to say, I often would say it in a song. Mm-hmm. So, and then I've been doing some writing also. Did you record any albums or anything, or just record some singles? I did. I recorded an album called Songs for Free Spirits, mm-hmm. which got quite a bit of radio play. Very and then cool. um, a single of a song that another singer uh, named Connie Huber um who's from a group called the uh, Chenille Sisters. Uh, she sang the vocals on it, and I played guitars. And that, that was called Abraham's uh, Tears. I've changed the name to Abraham's Children. Um, and it was about um, conflict. It was about the Middle East, but it also had implications about families and close relationships. Very cool. So what do you write about most often? Like, you know, you do writing, fiction writing, you've done music music writing. Is there a big difference there? Do you write about similar things in both mediums? That's a really good uh, question. Um, it covers a range. Um, usually, if, if there's something I want to say something about, and right. I find a medium for it, a lot of it some of it is about personal relationships, and some of it is about larger uh, social concerns, and some about uh, kind of what might be called spiritual inspirations. Mm-hmm. Where do you take? It covers a pretty wide range. Yeah. But basically, you know, 
I think there are basic values that people live by, and I think all of what I write and creative work centers around um, those values. Yeah, I get that. And that makes sense. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Oh no, I I was just saying that 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 makes sense. You know, if you have a certain val like values are going to pop up and you know across all your different works, and that that totally makes sense to me. Right and right, and I tend to feel they need expression, and so I get intense about doing that. Yeah. Well, how did you find yeah. out about us? Um, I was looking for a place to um published something that was an expanded folktale. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking for calls for writers, it didn't seem to fit very many categories. And actually, I think I misunderstood your name, which was Twice Told <laughs> Stories, which sounded, yeah, that could be an expanded folktale. Mm -hmm. And what I like about your podcast is that it's open in terms of genres. So, you know, it's fine if it's an expanded folktale. It doesn't have to fit on, you know, some other category. Right. And uh, so that was that was why I uh, sent it to you in the first place. Yeah, that I mean, that's that's a pretty valid interpretation of secondhand stories name. That, I mean... Yeah, well, I was thinking of it as secondhand, meaning you could take a folk story and right. expand it. But I think what, it, I, oh, I think you called it retold or something like, I don't recall. Yeah, something in our description probably, yeah, probably said something yeah, like that. Yeah, so, um, but it turned out just right because, you know, you usually retell them, but I was retelling the folk story, yeah. so it worked out well. Do you have any, uh, any big upcoming projects that you know, you have deadlines for that, anything that's about to get published soon? Um, I don't have exact deadlines. Um, I'm working on recording some songs with some other musicians that I had written and some of their songs. And I'm, uh, let's see, I have some... Um, almost finished writing projects. Uh, one of them is also in a folktale vein, although it's original, and I'll probably be sending you that. It's about uh, colors in nature, and uh, including human beings, and how the colors in nature reflect each other. And uh, so that's something that's coming up, uh, which is fictional. And then I have some memoirs I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And I'm also working on um, a project. I Years ago, I had done um, an exhibition. I had worked on an exhibition and catalog on Ojibwe crafts in Minnesota. And um, I curated the exhibition, and a lot of other people were really um, very involved in it. And I'm trying to put together an album of some of the work and updates on what some of the artists have been doing. And I've got that almost finished. Well, you're definitely keeping busy then. That sounds like a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to sort of do them in sequence. And mm -hmm. we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Very cool. Well, good luck with all that. 
Well, thank you for calling. Absolutely. Thanks for talking to me. She's a pretty busy lady. She's got a lot of stuff yeah. going on, and you know she's re- she's a retired. I think she used to be a history professor, or a humanities professor, um, but she's like in her retirement. She's just filling her time with a bunch of projects. And our next author is full of artistic projects as well, both past and present and future. I'm sure. Um, that's Gary Beck, who is the author of Intrusion from Episode Eleven and The Man Who Shot Stonewall Jackson from Episode Eighteen, and Gary was just, Gary and I had a really great conversation. It lasted like an hour. Um, I told him it was only going to be five minutes and we just kept talking about a bunch of stuff. So um, here's the shortened conversation with uh, Gary Beck. Oh, I've got 10 tons this year. I think I am about to sign a contract in the next week or so with a UK publisher who will publish three books of poetry this year, still September, October, November, while I have another book coming out in September and another one in November. So, <laughs> <laughs> a little congested. Wow. Yeah, it's it's been a strange but dynamic year. So, when you, we just talked about how many publications you have and are continuing to have. What made you think to submit to this tiny, brand new organization like Secondhand Stories? Uh, well, first I publish lots of individual poems and stories, as well as plays and essays. So I'm always looking for good magazines, and I'm particularly, I'm a former theater director, actor, other things, and I love to read. I don't do many readings anymore, so the ability or the opportunity to do podcasts is very nice for me. I enjoy it. Your wife read your first submission, Intrusion, especially from our early authors when I was reading most of the submissions. They said hearing someone else read their work was was a new experience. Was that I'm I'm assuming it's not a new experience for you, but was that you know, did no, that No, not in the least. Yeah. Uh, I was a theater director for most of my adult life and within that period I translated plays and also excuse me, wrote plays of my own that were produced. So I saw them from many different sides. And when you have a company of actors doing your play, you quickly get used to hearing the difference between the written word on the page and the spoken word on the stage. And to me, it's all one in a way. It's just a part of work to be produced and hopefully disseminated. Do you approach your work different? So I guess maybe this isn't the best question because I'm assuming, you know, most of your writing, you knew whether it was going to be read on the page or read on stage. Um, is there a different approach to to those two different kinds of writing? Well, yeah. I mean, first, anything written for the stage has to have more than just the concept of being read. It, it really has to be performed which means it's not talking, excuse me, it's acting. And ideally, of course, it should be good acting, Mm -hmm. which occasionally I didn't always have. (laughs) But the idea is the actor has to basically project emotion. And if the actor does not do that, he or she is really not 
creating the true nature of theater. Unlike, say, film, which in theory is on the big screen and you sit back and you sort of passively absorb, but it hopefully are moved by, in theory, theater is not supposed to be a passive spectation. There ideally should be an interchange between actor and audience, which I guess is starting in the 60s, the American theater responsibility for training and performance switched from theater companies to colleges. And as the colleges evolved with their drama departments, they became progressively more middle class and they invented concepts like the fourth wall. Are you familiar with that term? No, I'm not. The fourth wall is a theatrical term, which means there is an artificial wall between the stage and the audience that the actor does not penetrate. Mm -hmm. And this has become the theater norm in training. And I guess between the 5,000 odd colleges in the country, that maybe 3,500 have drama departments and probably all of them promulgate that kind of value, which means the actor is now separated from the audience. When I ran my theater company, of course, it wasn't on a Broadway stage, which is a little more remote, but I had no concept of the fourth wall. My actors, including me when I performed, would go into the audience and interact with them for the purpose of involving them in the emotional life of the play, basically building a world and getting the audience to inhabit it with us. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So obviously for me, uh, it's entirely different than, say, writing poetry or a novel, which theoretically, well, certainly novels in general are not really ever designed to be read aloud, even though it frequently happens. And fortunately, there's a history of thousands of years of poetry being read aloud. But it's different. I mean, almost all the poets who read their work are not very experienced and many of them are very poor readers and they don't understand necessarily how to create the vocality of the poem with the nature of the poem that again is my theory of feeling i mean i many years ago i used to do a lot of public readings many of them with other poets and of course i listened and i've i've gone to them even when i wasn't reading and i very rarely found poets who read well that's interesting because I I have the same feelings about novels and not necessarily being meant to be read aloud and how that translates to the audiobook industry. Like the one of our um, one of our goals, I guess, for secondhand stories was to get pieces that were specifically written to be read out loud, whether that's been successful or not. Yeah, I don't know that we've been very successful about that, but also. I'm not a very, I don't write very often, so I don't even have much advice for writers to say, hey, you know, to write this for an audio format, you should stay away from doing this and you should try to do this a little bit more. So um, that's Maybe think about contacting some playwrights and ask them to do something and see how it works. Yeah, I, I think that would be interesting. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Oh, how sure. did you get involved in the idea of podcasting? I love that. I really do. I really admire your doing that. Well, thank you. Um, so the, the kind of origin story of Secondhand Stories was that um, it was two years ago, but almost two years ago, you know, now, 
Um, and I was driving, I was taking a long drive to a vacation and I was stuck in traffic, flipping through the radio stations and, you know, I didn't want to listen to music. I didn't want to listen to the news or sports or anything. I just really wanted to hear a story and, you know, there's no fiction on the radio at this point. So, um, Not right. And it's, you know, people don't use the radio like they used to. So I was only listening to the radio because I was in the car. But um, so I decided, you know, I was trying to think about how to do fiction in an audio form because I didn't really want to listen to audiobooks because those are expensive. And, you know, I just wasn't a big fan of that. And I tried looking around for podcasts that were fiction based and I didn't really find any. Since then, I found a few. But um, it's really, you know, a lot of podcasting is either news stories or like investigative journalism. And um, I kind of saw an, an opportunity, an opening, and I knew nothing about podcasting, nothing about audio, or really, I'm I'm not trained in fiction at all. I was a computer science and math major in college, and I was a year I was a year out of college at this point. Yeah, so I just kind of I went for it. I used to love reading as a kid, and I. You know, started picking up reading a lot more after after college because I didn't have all that much time while I was in college, and so I'm I'm just enjoying it, and it seems like people are, other people are enjoying it too. So I don't know, I like it. Any idea of the kind of audience you have? Not really, um, but we've thought about that a lot because you know, obviously, we're trying to grow our audience, and we'd love to be able I to. Hope so. Absolutely. Yeah. I love the idea of we want to have more and more people listening to serious literature or funny literature, poetry. I love the idea. Yeah, if if you're if if you like this and you have a spare minute, which it sounds like it's tough to find, um, there's another podcast called No Extra Words and they do flash fiction and also some poetry occasionally. Um, and they're very similar to ours where they, they just kinda of read the stories and you know, we're not going to get the most serious fiction because we're a pretty unknown publication and we're, you know, it's just, we're, we're still going after mostly amateur writers. We're not getting a lot of professionals like yourself. So, well, it um, takes time. Oh yeah. It abs- takes a lot of time. Absolutely. And you're competing with so many literary activities. I mean, currently I, there was something like 5,000 Emacs, 5,000, and there must be 200,000 writers giving them money to get published, you know? I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah. And all that means is that quality has got to diminish proportionately. I don't know what the mathematical formula would be. Maybe you could figure one out. <laughs> but there's got to be a declining ratio in proportion to the number of magazines vis-a-vis writers. It'd be great if you could formulate that. It could be a, a good satire, right? Yeah, that that would be good. But I think what you, what you said rings true. A lot of writers are paying to submit their work to places and we... I, wrote, I, I have a friend who wrote an essay a young woman who wrote this essay outrage that you have to pay for contests pay to be published pay to be read i mean she was outraged and she signed it jane doe because she's young and she doesn't want them to turn on her right but i agreed with it a hundred percent and one of the mags that publishes me actually published it unfortunately they probably have a readership of 200 mm-hmm. of which probably 70 percent wouldn't read it and maybe another 25 percent only browsed it right but I'd love to, to go out public. It's outrageous that people expect writers to pay them. Yeah, and I like I feel bad because we our writers are writing for free. Like we can't we just don't have an economic model, period. So we'd love to build There's up our to feel bad about that. That's 
reality. Yeah. Uh, I have no objections to not being paid by a publication that doesn't have the money. None whatsoever. I mean, they're making a statement that they care for what they're doing. I object to them charging. I never pay for anything. Yeah, I, it's outrageous that somebody expects a writer to pay. I don't blame when you. When I was in theater, musicians had the saying, Musicians must be paid. They didn't care if actors, directors, playwrights, techies <laughs> didn't get paid, but musicians had to be paid. Yeah. And there was a bit of reality to that. You know, an artist should be paid. I mean, I can't tell you how many magazines resent me because I let them know, I'm sorry, you made do good work, but I ain't paying you to publish me. Mm-hmm. You know? And I get public... I swear, this is going to sound outrageous, but I have been published in hundreds and hundreds of magazines. I believe hundreds. you. I believe you. And, oh, God, it could be even more. I mean, I think my brother told me that I had something like 2,300 poems published in the last 10 years. Wow. Yeah. And the whole point is, I would not pay anyone to publish me. I wouldn't care who it was. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't care how urgent I was to be published. But I'm the exception. There are tens of thousands of writers who, quote, need to be published, and they'll pay for it or they'll self-publish. I mean, once upon a time, we used to laugh at people who self-published. Now there's an industry that convinces them it's worthwhile. I mean, what do you do? Yeah. You know? Uh, so I, I think you should never feel badly guilty or anything that you can't pay. If you get rich and you don't, then you should feel badly and guilty. <laughs> I will, yes. I had this conversation with Chris Baker Dersh of No Extra Words um, in that episode a little while back. Um, about how we can't pay our writers at this point because we're not making any money. We feel bad about that, even though we know we're not making any money. But I just liked his kind of reassurance of if you're not making any money, you can't. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, sure. Because we don't make any money, because this is like kind of a volunteer basis, we try to take a lot of care with the work um, that we receive, and we try to, you know, our names are going on this as well as the authors. And th- this was something actually that. I forgot that I wanted to talk about from what Ryan and I talked about, but he he mentioned something about authors reading their stories and how, you know, we kind of had to put a little bit of trust in them to be able to record it well and, um, and get it back to us on time and all that. And, you know, at the end of the day, if the authors read the story, we have to put the trust in them that they're going to, you know, have their equipment, blah, 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 all that stuff I just said. But if, we record it, they're putting a lot of trust in us to record it well. We're we're taking their story, their work, their time and effort, and we're trying to, you know, we're going to share it with the world and we're going to put them out there. But, you know, we we need to make sure that we're doing that in a way that's respectful to what they wanted to do. And, and we just have to take a lot of care um, with the work that we, we receive. And I hope that we do that, people. If we're not, let me know. Yeah, the, the reason I brought that up is because they're next to statements we have a recording then a statement kind of talk about how some authors thought that we did take a lot of care with their work and and that's really nice to hear so first we have a recording from Derek Lazarski who's the author of Fake Things Aren't Real from episode 21 
Hi, my name is Derek Salinas Lazarski, and my story, Fake Things Aren't Real, was featured on Secondhand Stories podcast in June 2017. I had a pretty cool experience with the Secondhand Stories podcast that I was not anticipating. Um, I'm one of those writers that's really hard on themselves, maybe a little too hard on themselves. Uh, so I'm, I'm used to the creative writing group gauntlet of having your ego sort of torn apart. Um, not that that happened with Jim and Colleen, but, um, we went through a pretty cool editing process in that we did a few rounds of edits. Uh, Jim, Jim and Colleen sent them, sent them back to me and we went back and forth on, macro-level story issues and also micro-level issues. And the cool thing about the podcast format that I was not anticipating as someone who who's written fiction for many years, always for the page, was having to give a new kind of attention or to the language or lo- looking at my prose through a different lens, switching my paradigm. Because I'm always writing for the pages of fiction writer. And so a lot of the edits that Jim and Colleen would send back to me were, this sounds good on the page, but read it out loud and figure out how, think about how it's going to sound to an audience. And when you're writing fiction, one of the classic editing tips is read your prose out loud to yourself, hear how it sounds, uh, and that helps you go back and kind of see it from a third person and and create it um, or edit it better. But in writing for the podcast and going through the editing process with Jim and Colleen, I found that I had to shift gears even more because it's not like someone reading the story can just, if they miss someone's name or something, can jump back up two or three paragraphs, right? Sure, they could rewind it, but it's not easy to go back and find it. So a lot of Jim and Colleen's edits were, what is the logic of this? What is the logic of this scene? And how is a reader or a listener, see I'm even doing it right now, how is a listener going to be able to follow the logic of this? So let's change the wordings. Let's maybe change the order of a couple of the actions um, to be able to, for, for a listening audience, to be able to follow the story as best as possible. And like I was saying, uh, that really was a cool experience for me because I'm always looking at new ways to challenge myself and, and improve my prose and my writing. And be, being forced to, to look at my writing through a new paradigm um, I feel like really helped me, and uh, I'm going to carry it on to my future writing endeavors. Um, so I want to say uh, thank you again to Jim and Colleen for featuring me on the podcast and uh, for putting me through that rigmarole, which I'm grateful for, and I had a good time doing it. So uh, happy anniversary, Secondhand Stories, to many more. started my weepiness when yeah. I listened to he was one of the first people on the recording that you sent me and he started making me weepy he had so many nice things to say and but he did you know talked a lot about our editing process and how we really appreciated that 
and you know, um, it helped him, you know, look at his language and his, at his work through a different paradigm, which was very interesting. Yeah, that was um, super cool. And and also, you know, it, it, within the editing process, he it, he saw the the in, like the need to make your story logical and in sound rather than logical on just logical on the page and. And that's something that we look for a lot, and anybody, any of our contributors who have gotten edits from us can probably attest to this, that, I mean, we, we don't ever edit for, like, you know, oh, we don't like this word, we don't like that, we don't like the character's name, or this or that. We're only editing, generally, for clarity, just because we're, we're thinking about, you know, how it's going to sound when either they read or one of us reads it. And if it doesn't make sense when it, it comes out loud, then, like, to us and it's not going to make sense to any of our listeners and that's we and it's not a matter of like oh it doesn't make sense and you're a bad writer no it's just that it doesn't make sense and we want to make sure it does so that your story like I just talked about comes across in a way that is you know right in the way that you want it to I think Derek really speaks well about that yeah especially like I think he mentioned um you know if you're reading a story you can always just jump back a sentence or a paragraph or a page, even if you if you get a little bit okay. lost. But if you get lost in listening to something, you're more likely to just turn it off rather than skip back for whatever reason. It's it's just as easy to skip back on your you know iPhone player or whatever to right. to do that. But people just won't do that. So um, that's sure. really that's that's all we're trying to do is just make sure that everything flows. Everything everybody knows what's going on and honestly like that's probably the hardest part of of all this is because we've read you know at the time that we're editing at the time that I'm editing I've already read the story once so I know exactly what happens in the story and so you know I'm just trying to make sure that I'm in the space of a reader who's reading it for the first time and making sure that I you know I'm not taking any prior knowledge into that reading because obviously the author knows exactly how the story goes too so when they try to edit it you know, they might overlook something because they know what's going to happen next. Um, right, exactly. And well, so, even sometimes when I read a story, I do that. Like, I'll skip lines and, like, just, like, out of, uh, not, I don't do it on purpose, but just, like, my brain just does that. Yeah. And, like, for this, like, you can't. You have to be really involved in the story. And, and if you're so involved and then you're, like, you get something that jars you and it doesn't, you know, follow along with the story, then, like, you know, then it starts to get muddy and you don't really know what's going on. Yeah. Um, next? next, we have um, Yermiyahu Arun Taub, who's the author of Flowers for Madame from episode 13. He kind of talks about. Oh, he wrote his nice little letter. Oh, yeah, he did. Um, so I'll read that now. He says Dear Jim and Colleen, congratulations to Secondhand Stories podcast on its one year anniversary, and kudos to you for your hard work and vision. Working with SHS podcast was a wonderful experience from beginning to end. Jim provided detailed feedback on my short story, Flowers for Madame, which enhanced the story's rhythm. Never having recorded a story myself and not being particularly fond of hearing my recorded voice, I was initially reluctant to record the story myself. However, given the generous sprinkling of Hebrew and Yiddish terms and names, Jim encouraged me to read the story myself and walk me through the necessary technological steps. Once I sent in my recorded version, he listened to it carefully and let me know where re-recording was needed. I'm so impressed by the care Jim took with my text. He really went far beyond the call of duty. And I'm so grateful to Secondhand Stories Podcast for your support of my work and for being a vital forum for spoken contemporary literature. Congratulations to you both again on the anniversary of Secondhand Stories Podcast. Long may you prosper. With gratitude and very best wishes, Yermiyahu Arun Taub. 
such a such a um a regal letter. Long may you yes. prosper. It sounds like Yoda. I love it. Yeah, yeah I was Amazing. thinking Star Trek. Live long yeah. and prosper, but yeah. Oh yes, that's it. Oh my god, yeah. I know. I don't know those two any no, of that star I, stuff at well at all. No, me either. Um, but yeah, I just no, thought that I, was that was super nice. Yeah, go ahead. And then yeah, I think what he talked about too, because we, I mean, we struggle with this too. Um, on some of the episodes, I remember us talking about um words and and things that we couldn't pronounce, and um, I think that is again, people, it's bringing these different cultures and experiences to light, and you know words and stuff I didn't know before. Now I know, like, the I'm just thinking of the, the Scottish story that had a lot of the different accents, and even though the words were the same, they just were spelled differently, or, like, the names and stuff. But I, mean, I learned so much about that kind of bit of Vikings and all that. Stuff. And, like, you, you learn about these people's heritage. Like, these, this is, these are these people's lives. Like, and, you know, it just creates a space for people to... Um, tell their stories and, and for other people to learn about them. I think that in, in and of itself, no matter if we're putting out funny, good, whatever stuff, like that alone is a good thing. Yeah, our our next statement from a contributor basically talks exactly about that. Um, it's from Sarah Bigham from Memories of Smoke, Episode 6. And she says, my story is part of Episode 6, which was released on Thanksgiving last year. I enjoyed hearing from people who listened to it and was so happy to have a home for a story that had been in my head for a while. It was a work of fiction, but it has many elements from a trip I made to Germany as a teenager when I unexpectedly got to spend time with some senior citizens who were very kind to me. Writing the story and then providing pronunciation guides also gave me a chance to take advantage of the expertise of my neighbor, who is a German professor. I really loved the idea that people out there in the world might be able to listen to my story as they cooked or baked or ate or otherwise spent time with family and friends on Thanksgiving. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your adventure. And I like how she says, like, you know, I talked about this with Doug a little bit earlier. We just talked about it um, with your Miyahu and just like having people write about it's like write what you know, writing, writing about your life. But mm-hmm. in a fictional context is just really cool. Um, yep, and you, that's what you know, man. That's the best way to start. Yeah. And it, it lets you learn not only about the authors themselves, but it just lets you like, you know, we learned a little bit about Scotland and. We have a couple stories coming up um, where we're going to learn a little bit about some other cultures a little bit. Like we and we had that story. Um, I think Ryan and I might have talked about this, but I think it got cut. Um, the story from um, from the Father's Day episode about the the Native American father and son or yes, grandfather and I son. I love that story. Yeah, yes. that like oh, that's an amazing story. I forgot about that one. Yeah, oh, we just we've we've heard like you know. Intentionally or not, we've heard from a lot of different people from different backgrounds, and yeah, um, yeah, that's just been really cool. So we have one more statement left, and I think Colleen's oh, going to take us home because statement? yeah, because Colleen's full Yay! of energy at this point now. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so much more here. full of energy last night, but I'm going to do my best. Yeah, this is from uh, Laura Copan from Lilith the Bigfoot, episode three. That was such a funny story, by the way. Yes. I love that story. Um, Laura says. Follow your curiosity. That was as much as that took a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> no, and, and she's so right. I mean, that's, I think what I said last night and what I'll say again is if you're curious about writing, do it. The only best way to start is to sit down at your computer, sit down at your pen and paper and start writing. If you're curious about reading and listening to stories, listen to our podcast, get a pair of headphones and just listen to it. If you're curious about, 
you know, publishing things and doing, if you just do something that makes you scared. I think that's a lot of, of like, I try, I sound like super lame, but like, and, and cliche, but like, that's how I try to live my life. Like, do things that make you a little bit nervous and, and you will, I mean, a lot of our contributors talk about that. Like, they were concerned about reading their stories and they were concerned about their stories not being, you know, accepted by other publications. And when, it, when we accepted them, like, it kind of gave them a whole new vote of confidence. And, and like, you know, these are people are just a, like a few of people that trusted us to do that. And I think that's amazing. So follow your curiosity if you're curious about us. Go to secondhandpodcast.com. <laughs> but it, it also, like, that's what we did here. We knew nothing about podcasting. I knew very little about fiction other than, like, just the books that I've read over. Like, you know, I didn't study English in college or anything. I just kind of wanted to do this. And it's turned into Be this like, pretty just. cool thing. <laughs> huh? Be happy you did. Yeah. Cool. I, yeah, whatever. Well, also, your math is super hard, so. Yeah. Well. Math is pure. Teacher science. It was fine. Um, but yeah, we just like we we followed our curiosity making this and we hope that, you know, any listeners out there who are thinking about writing, like really just just start. Just make yourself do it. Make yourself yep. do it every day. Um, just just really just go for it. Um, mm-hmm. So we have it'll some. Make, it'll make yourself so much happier. Yeah, really. It, it's you're you're making yourself miserable by just sitting on your ideas. And if you just go yep. for it, then. It's gonna be it's gonna be much better. Um, so that about does it for this episode. Um, we have some at this episode in this year of secondhand stories. We're obviously coming back again. Um, we're gonna just gonna take a week off. Um, we have some ideas for stuff over the next year, but I think we're just gonna keep those to ourselves. I think we'll just maybe yeah. tease them out a little bit as the year goes on. Um, but no, look for look for some some new stuff from us. We just want to say a huge thank you to all of our contributors over the year, um, and a special thank you to everyone who contributed to this episode. We had 16 authors, which was really great. Um, we had about a third of our of our previous authors um, get back to us, which was awesome. Um, so we just want yeah. to give a special thank you to them. Special thank you to yeah. Colleen again for recording this with me a second time. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, this... honestly, I'm taking that thank you this time. Yes, because you got to wake up. Um. So yeah. Uh, no, just... it's all good. Thank you, everybody. We love you so much. Every single solitary one of you. Yes. You're all amazing, and keep on writing, keep on listening, keep on just being, being your great self. Yeah, I think that's it. So we'll see everybody in two weeks. Two weeks, people. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>